Hello, everyone, and welcome again into the Data Center Frontier Show. I'm Matt Vincent here with David Chernikoff, and we are the, <clears throat> I guess what might be referred to as the desk editors of DCF, um, and that this might be the quote-unquote handoff edition of the podcast, as it's the first one hosted by me as the new editor. Of course, uh, Data Center Frontier's uh, now editor-at-large is the site's founder, Rich Miller, our brother in data centers, and kind of our O-Captain, my captain figure, little 80s movie reference for anyone who might remember the film Dead Poets Society. Uh, we're still very much in contact with Rich um, now that he's become an emeritus member of the editorial staff. As editor-at-large, Rich is uh, setting his sights squarely on technology journalism. You know, he's very excited to do that while uh, uh, myself and uh, David take over the uh, day-to-day sides of the uh, editorial job. Uh, just wanted to let everyone know that going forward, Rich is going to be contributing, uh, I believe, two stories a month uh, to Data Center Frontiers, so keep your eyes peeled for those. I know we'll be keeping our eyes peeled. So anyway, uh, all of that is just to say, hello, David, how are you doing? Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right here in, uh, once again, the hottest year on record, now that we're in the uh, phase of time where every year seems to be the, or not seems to be, is, according to Planet Scientists, the hottest year on record. And uh, it's not lost on me that I'm beginning this job uh, with uh, that state of uh, affairs. So I know uh, last time in the podcast, you and Rich uh, spoke about uh, AI. And uh, I know that we'll be revisiting uh, AI again as a topic uh, in this forum. And maybe it'll become the kind of topic that is woven into every discussion that we have. But uh, today, David, I, I thought that we could narrow it down to two topics that I know uh, your expertise is uh, large in, which is uh, cooling and uh, the future of power. And um, you can certainly go there. And, and uh, if nothing else, AI has a huge impact on both of those topics. Uh, not to digress into the AI discussion too deeply, but uh, recent uh, coverage uh, analyst analysis has shown that they believe that NVIDIA is going to take 90% of the AI market. Okay, they currently hold about 80% or maybe maybe more. But the, the point being is that it does not, while it, they're making AI and other IT workload tasks more efficient, that doesn't mean that there's less work to be done. And you know, it's, it's the, uh, the classic, whatever space you give it, it will fill that available space. And what's happened now is that, you know, AI processors are incredibly power hungry, regardless of how efficient they are. Uh, in, in NVIDIA's last conversation, uh, uh, Jensen Huang pointed out that, well, you can now use two H100 processors to do a task that previously required, uh, you know, eight or 40 or, or 26, whatever number he threw out, um, or the previous generation processors. Well, that's great. Um, the problem is, okay, when I buy when I buy a tray of H100s, I now have eight of them. I now have, okay, I can do four times as much work as I could do before. And I'm now drawing a little over 10 kilowatts per tray, not per rack, but per tray. So that means that the amount of power being drawn by that one data center rack is equivalent to probably what was being drawn by an entire data center hall five years ago. Definitely ten years ago, you know, you know the standard used to be you built you built densities for 
you know, three, maybe four kilowatts, anything over 10 kilowatts was considered a, a, a high density, high powers environment. And now we're building, you know, standardized 35 kilowatt racks. We're building for the future of 200, 250 kilowatt racks. Well, that's a lot of heat being generated. As such, you know, the government, we, I did a story, the government's just uh, recently announced uh, some funding for their cooler chips product. That's a really long acronym. I presume that there is someone in the government who sets up, sits there and thinks up the words to fill out those acronyms. Um, I don't remember offhand what it stands for, so I'm not going to spell it out every year, but the, the program <laughs> is called Cooler Chips. Uh, they, they, they put a very small amount of money, uh, you know, 40 million or so uh, into I think uh, eight or 10 different vendors who are looking at different ways of cooling the data center with a goal towards higher sustainability, better efficiency. Uh, I guess to a certain extent, higher sustainability also means being a better corporate citizen of the world or at least a better corporate citizen of Northern Virginia. Um, since that's where we often hear the biggest um, screams uh, of not in my backyard from people, um, basically because, well, yes, they're building every, you, you blink and there's a new data center. And when it was a couple of big buildings, people didn't really seem to care a whole lot. Now that the entire landscape, which used to be filled with cattle and cow patties, is now covered with large industrial buildings that don't seem to be doing anything from the outside. Uh, and then occasional screaming of generators on the weekends. People are now have realized what's in there. Uh, they don't care what the workloads are. You know, they're probably in, in all likelihood, they're filming their protests that uh, Bill Clayman covered in a recent story, uh, but they're probably filming them on, you know, on Facebook Live hmm. without even giving any consideration to the fact that the technology that is enabling them to film their protests for their friends and neighbors is, is running in a data center uh, probably somewhere in Oregon. Well, if it's in Oregon, it's not, it's not in Northern Virginia, so they feel much better about it. <laughs> but but that, that's really the issue, is that as, as we continue to grow the, 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 work, the, the capabilities of the hardware, the workload grows along with it. It's not, it's not like we're going to suddenly become more efficient and, and have a smaller footprint. So the, the trick now has, is moving towards we need better efficiency in cooling and in other support uh, infrastructures so that as we increase the workload, we're not placing a, a greater strain on the environment. Right. So, I mean, but now, now in terms of cooling, and uh, this is leaving aside the uh, the AI question that I'm dying to ask you, but we're not supposed to be talking about AI, or, or if we are, we're talking about it in the context of cooling. But your your recent you had a recent story on DCF about uh, uh, CO2 uh, cooling and what you learned at the seven by twenty four spring conference. And then uh, Rich Miller had a story about uh, liquid cooling and what he learned at uh, this year's uh, AFCOM show. So can you compare and contrast those uh, two approaches? Well, they're, 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 not, they're not something you would really contrast. Um, the CO2 cooling is focused on replacing the hydrofluorocarbons that are currently used in most chillers. You know, your air conditioner, is, a, is a basically, a, from, from this perspective, is a chiller. It's got a, a cooling um, element that has a chemical in it that is not particularly environmentally friendly. You know, you're, if you're paid at all any attention to the automotive scene over the last 25, 30 years, you know that the air conditioner in your car, they switched coolants in that time frame, and which made it harder to, to you had to re, totally rehab 
older, you know, if you were, if you were an older car user or, or a collector, if you want to be able to air air conditioning that, you had to rehab the air conditioning system to use the newer generation of coolants. Well, the problem was, is fundamentally, is that those coolants are still HFCs. They're still, they're still um, major producers of greenhouse gases, and that it's going to be necessary to move as far away from possible as possible from those gases that we can. So that's what the, the, the model of the, the CO2 chiller idea was, was that carbon dioxide, yeah, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, but if I release a pound of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere due to a leak, I've released one pound of CO2, one pound of a greenhouse gas. If I release one pound of, a, of, of an HFC, I may have equivalent, that's equivalent to say 30 or 100 or 150, depending upon the chemical itself, pounds of CO2. So the, the goal being to minimize the chances of a leak, which you don't want any leaks in the first place, but you know, things happen, excrement occurs. And that's, the, uh, that's the, the nature of the universe. So if my cooling system, if my chillers, if I now move to a more environmentally friendly chiller, it means I'm not changing the architecture of my data center. I mean, perhaps I'm simply on my cycle of, 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 of replacement parts, it's time to upgrade. Well, I don't need to build an entirely new data center. I can move to a chiller that is more environmentally friendly. That's the idea of the of the CO2 model for chillers. The liquid cooling approach is a whole different uh, ball of wax in the sense that it's anywhere from the liquid, uh, you know, DLC where you have liquid plates on each processor or each GPU that that are liquid that are cooled and are pulling the power. Out, the, the, sorry, the heat directly from that, or if you're cooling at the rack level, you, you're using uh, rear air heat exchangers. So the door itself is a suck, it has devices in it. So the fans basically, they can suck the heat out of the, out of the, the rack. Um, it can be liquid cooled. There are ways to liquid cool that. You, you don't have to, you can incrementally add liquid cooling to an environment, but you, you, you need to figure out how you're going to do that in a way that is, okay, here's what I can do in my existing data center. Here's the upgrades I need to do to my data center beyond the liquid cooling hardware. And here's where I need to build a completely new data center, because if I need to build, if I'm going pure liquid cooling and I need to have the plumbing and the infrastructure for that, I probably need to build a new building. Understood. But are both methods of cooling, um, you know, and this, uh, forgive me for, I'm going to frame this as like a devil's advocate uh, kind of question, or maybe just like uh like a devil's advocate kind of question. I mean, the goal is to move us away from water-based cooling in the data center industry. Is that accurate? And I'm, I wanted to ask- I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the goal is to move away from water-based cooling in the sense that you wanna move away from the continual use and of, of, of the local water supply, a potentially, camp, potentially contaminating groundwater, all of those issues. There are sealed liquid cooling systems. I mean, they're, they're, which, which you don't need to have a constant supply of, you know, a closed loop system, it tends to be more efficient that way in terms of the use of the water. So while it'd be great to say, we don't want any more, we don't want any more water cooling, it's not gonna happen anytime soon. Frankly, I've, if I've, I'm, going, I'm sure it's going to be around for at least our lifetimes. Because liquid, liquid, that water cooling, be it for a chiller or for a liquid cooling environment, is easy. You know, water is environmentally safe. 
you know, you don't need, you need, you generally, the only, the types of permits you need to operate a water system are just those that are much the same for any other large scale irrigation system. There, there are differences before people start leaving me nasty emails about, no, no, there's very specific models. But, but the idea being you're using water. If you can prevent the contamination of that water, um, some of the vendors we talked to, for example, Nautilus builds complete data centers where the, the water never comes in, it has, has the potential to come in contact with any IT workload equipment. Right. So, I mean, and, that, and that's obviously, you don't want to leak in your data center. Dripping water on electrical systems is always a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, which is, which is why the emergence, emergent systems exist and that, that use um, what is basically mineral oil or advanced chemical compositions that are basically mineral oil that have that same kind of heat load, but, but don't also are not conductive in the way necessary to damage electrical components. Mm -hmm. So, there, but then you've got to handle however many gallons of, of mineral oil are flowing through your data center, are sitting in your immersion cooler, whatever, that you need to plan for how you're going to control leaks and, and you know, possible um, contamination of that fluid, et cetera. All those, it, all those issues still apply, but they, 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 they change as you move through the uh, types of water cooling, how it's being applied, how it's being used. I mean, simply being able to add, you know, rear door heat exchangers to a rack means, okay, now I've got better control over the, the, the cooling in that rack. Whatever method I'm using, be it air, air to air, air to water, water to water, whatever the cooling method actually is. But so I can upgrade my data centers um, slowly. I don't have to say, okay, this is going to be a rip and replace. I want to suddenly be able to run X number, you know, X workloads in my in, in this data hall. So I'm going to completely reconfigure this one data hall. Well, maybe I just need to configure one rack or maybe two racks or maybe a row before I get to the point where I've got to redo an entire data hall or I get to the point where I can't redo my data halls any longer and I've got to build a new facility. But, you know, cooling is, is a, a process and a goal, but it's, it's not something that's going to happen right now. The changes are incremental. Why, why, the changes should be incremental. You can make wholesale rip and replace changes and, and, and change your entire perspective on cooling, which may happen with some of the people who decide to deploy, what, what is it? Uh, um, uh, Musk bought 10,000 H100 CPUs. And he's going to, if he's putting those in one data center, that's a huge amount of heat. That's a huge amount of power. He may need to meet, they may need to build a specific data center just to support that workload, that particular workload. But as you pointed out, not everybody's running AI workloads. The rest of the workloads in the business world aren't going away. We're still going to be doing, you know, knowledge worker workloads. You're still, and not everybody wants to go to a pure cloud environment. Not everyone's going to be running on Office, uh, Microsoft 365, uh, as it's now called, or Google uh, entire Office suite or whatever the case may be. People are still going to want to have some control over local storage. They, want to have, they may want to run apps locally. They may feel that it's more secure that way. Whatever their reasoning is, there's, there's a, a process building to where people are, you know, as they move to their hybrid cloud environment, which is pretty much where everybody is going, you want some control of, of some things. You want, you're willing to give some, give some things to the cloud. So how they choose to cool locally is probably going to differ completely from how they going to choose to cool for a, you know, a corporate wide, you know, when I say on-prem, I mean, in this case, a data center for a corporation that may have 50,000 users all going back to that data center, but running knowledge worker applications. So that, that's a much lighter workload, even with the amount of data that people tend to accumulate than running an AI workload is, for example. Right. 
Well, uh, since you just brought up uh, power in a big way, uh, let's move uh, over to let's move the discussion over to power now and uh, the future of power. Um, you know, of course, everybody knows uh, that there's a big uh, utility crunch in the data center industry. You know, the, the utilities are not able to, to supply enough uh, power for uh, all the data centers uh, that uh, want to be built. So uh, let's. Uh, get some uh, insights on uh, from from you know from your current work what you've been writing what the uh, what the future of power uh, holds you know what this discussion holds for data centers well I mean I've, I've been I've been writing about for example the 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 pending availability of small module reactors as as nuclear comes back online and becomes a reasonable alternative uh, to other you know to fossil fuel style uh, power sources it fundamentally nuclear is and I, I know people will argue this is the most effectively available in terms of it can it's always on it's not like wind it's not like other you know other renewables besides hydropower you know solar or wind you have to account for them for it not being available for the generation capability not to be there you know basically Solar every night, you turn on, you know, you're not getting any solar generation. Uh, wind, some areas, yes, wind is very consistent, but when the wind stops blowing, the, the power stops generating. Obviously, we have workarounds for that. <laughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Obviously, there are workarounds for that now, uh, which generally means pulling from power from the grid from other sources. Right now, the, the best choices are hydro, but in the U.S. at least, there are no places left to build hydro plants. We are completely out of locations that are suitable for hydro and are, in fact, due to environmental concerns, uh, primarily the, the survival of certain species, where we've actually pulled out some, some hydro capability, removed dams, things of that nature. So nuclear is going to have to come and do its own to provide power in the future. However, the main issue that we're facing right now is the grid itself. The infrastructure doesn't exist to deliver power effectively. You know, you know, our infrastructure is archaic. Um, not that it's necessarily badly designed is the right word, but it's not designed to handle any sort of catastrophe. It's not well designed to wrap power anywhere it's needed. Uh, at the moment, we're having problems building additional substations. That's the, that's the biggest impact that data centers have seen, is that, yes, power companies say, I have the power to deliver. However, where you're building that data center, I can't build another substation. So there's no way for me to get power to you. That's the, the broadest sense of the comment. Um, investing in the infrastructure, which is not strictly a data center issue, but data centers are, I guess, the poster child for the abusers of power in the world at the moment, uh, for no particular reason other than people, you know, it's easy to point to. Data centers using, you know, a noticeable percentage of the world's power. These problems must be data centers' fault. Well, they're not. We're simply the, 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 the failure point where people are seeing this is a, a demand issue. And this, so we have the demand, we have, the, we, we have the supply in most cases, what we have is the inability to deliver A to B. And that's where the changes are gonna to have to be made. That's where the investment has to be made now. And if, if, you, if you look at stories that have been done on Data Center Frontier over the last year, you see that Rich, and I believe I've covered it once or twice, but Rich has covered it repeatedly, that the, the building of new uh, substations has to accompany the creation of new data centers. There has to be a way to get the power there, and that and that's and that's not as simple as it sounds, or maybe, or maybe it is as simple as it sounds. But the other issues involved in building those substations, political, 
ecological, et cetera, have more of an impact right there, right at that failure point. That's what people notice it. Understood. So is it too uh, great a leap to uh, say that the uh, the just the advances of AI uh, alone uh, that are going to be coming online into the data center are enough to uh, raise the stakes on uh, on on um, power and uh, cooling technologies. Sorry, I just got distracted by my uh, Zoom uh, notification that popped up here. But uh, it, 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 is AI alone what's what's going to 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 you know raise the stakes on on these uh, issues? I guess sort of what you're asking is AI the straw that breaks the camel's back. And, 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 and to a large extent, it may be because, you know, all of a sudden, everybody wants to AIify everything. So that means that, you know, we have AI, Qualcomm came forward and pointed out that basically every chip they've made for the last four years is AI enabled. Well, that's great. But do I want to run some sort of distributed AI platform across my phones? You know, which barely can maintain connectivity now. What happens when I start running, you know, a, a next generation AI application that's going to make use of those processors' capabilities? Right. Uh, and that's that's written on a small level there. But when you go to the large scale, when when businesses are demanding AI capabilities through for all sorts of products, well, you know, for we've all shop we all shop on the web. It's pretty much hard to avoid. I I live in a rural area. Um, you know, without Amazon and other shopping sources, a lot of stuff wouldn't would be a huge pain for me to actually acquire. And just some of that stuff is just daily things. I I, I order my groceries on the internet, that sort of stuff. But the inference engine that runs on all of those sites that says, "Yo, you you bought this, you might like to buy that," is basically an AI app running in the background somewhere. But it's they're trying to make those more efficient, which means building bigger AI models and building bigger uh, infrastructures to support the demand of those models and uh, deploying those models means that yes, AI is is bringing us to us. I don't know if it's as critical as a, what used to be called a tipping point, but it's making it much more noticeable that the, that the demands for power and cooling are, are not out of hand, but are now top of mind. It used to be power will be there. We're not going to worry about it. And it was okay, we'll build a data center and we're going to deploy X number of megawatts and we'll have the capability to add X number of megawatts. Uh, but now it's my, my, new, my new applications require me to have a huge amount of power to start. So can I support that in my existing facilities? If I can, does that mean I'm at a point where if I add one more rack, uh, the whole thing is going to blow up? I mean, we've gotten that, are we running that close to the edge? And I think in a lot of situations, we probably are. I mean, if you think about it, while the data centers, the, the hyperscalers keep building data centers, you don't hear about as many being built in the, you know, smaller ones being built. They're being, they're built, they're being deployed, but on a, you know, for about five or six or like six or seven years ago, there was a big push towards edge data centers, and, which still exists. And that's pushing data centers uh, into communities, into, into business downtowns, into areas where the, they are, they're at hand 
for the current local users, where it's not a matter of having to go to a, a hyperscaler that's nearest facility is, is 100 miles away. I've got, I can, I can build my facility in uh, downtown Montreal in an office building and be able to offer, you know, connectivity and low, the low latency that, the, that, 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 that location offers for clients within the city. Well, that, that's great. But now the issues are, well, my customer wants to do that, but now they want to add a rack or they want to add a tray of, of AI processors. Well, that's okay. On a small scale, I can probably do that. But what happens when, when 50% of my customers want to do it or 70% of my customers want to do that? I probably can't do that in that data center anymore. So that, that edge data center can no longer support the demands. And you know, putting in a data center on the, on the 30th floor of a building that has to now have water cooling as its primary you know, uh, cooling methodology, that's a big deal. If I want to use immersion cooling, I probably don't want to be on the 30th floor of a building. And it's just, right. just you, know, you know, you know, but I might, I might have to be if if what I'm doing is an edge data center focusing on AI in a major in a major metropolitan area. Right. So and it's it's definitely changing and forcing people to rethink what they're doing. Maybe a dumb question, but I mean, at a certain point, do you think Moore's law kicks in for the AI processors and they get smaller, or are we a long, long way away from that? Oh, well, I, th I think Moore's law kicked in. A long time ago, relative to that, because it's no longer, you know, you're. I don't. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I'm sorry, I, I could look this up, but it's no longer a single processor anymore. It's yeah. it's now it's now anywhere from eight to a hundred or two hundred, you know, processor cores on a single die. If you, if if we look at the uh, service die, that's a, that's a twelve that's a twelve inch wafer with an eight inch die basically that's got. You know, that's all processors. It's not one 12 inch or one eight inch processor. It's a number of processors that are fixed into that in a in a fat in a fabric that allows them to communicate. So I think that that's probably the next step in what will cause uh, things to slow down is the speed of the interconnection between the processors. Right. Um, I mean, so uh, it, uh, Nvidia is pushing InfiniBand, which is also Intel pushes that. Each uh, AMD has their own solutions. Um, if you look at the recent release, re, re, the recently released, I'm talking faster than I can talk, the recently released uh, Frontier supercomputer, and now El Capitan, Frontier uses um, AMD Epic cores, El Capitan uses uh, Intel Xeon cores, uh, both uh, the El Capitan actually is actually using Intel uh, GPUs as well, El, uh, Frontier uses NVIDIA GPUs, um, but the point being is that the interconnection between all of those pieces is where the performance gains are. Understood. Well, David, uh, it's been about a half hour and uh, okay. yet I feel that we have just uh, scratched the surface, but uh, thank you for your insights. Um, you know, I, I feel like we could spend uh, two hours here with me just asking uh, knucklehead questions and you uh, filling in uh, with uh, great answers uh, for them. But um, we're down to our last few minutes. So um, I guess we'll leave it here for now and we'll pick up uh, in a couple of weeks again for our uh, next episode of the Data Center Frontier Show. Um, David, have a great uh, rest of your day and uh, the same goes for everyone out there in the audience. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one yourself.